Welcome back to the Savage Land. Today we've got another creator interview. My name is Jason, and the person we are talking to uh, is the creator and mastermind behind such comics as Apocalyptic Girl and Headlopper. He is a writer, artist, all sorts of things. He wears almost any hat you can think of in the comic book industry, I feel like. Uh, but his name is Andrew McLean. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Yeah, thanks so much. Glad to be here, dude. Thank you. Thanks so much. Glad to have you. Um, how's how's your day going? I mean, where where are you at in the country? I always that's like my biggest fascination is with a lot of industries, you know, like <laughs> TV and stuff. Uh, everyone's kind of like based in one central location, but in comics, it's like literally all across the globe. I'm I'm curious where everyone's yeah. from. Yeah, I live in uh, Massachusetts right now. I live in in the sticks. I live out in like central northern, in the uh, like where I grew up out in the woods. Oh, so you grew up out in Massachusetts as well? Yeah, yeah. Never ventured far from home. Nice, I like it. Well, we bounced around a little, but it was always uh, it was always the Northeast. Okay, is there is there something uh, about that area of the country that uh, you feel like you identify with a lot, or you know, what's the what's the comfort there? <laughs> no, it, honestly, it's we've we've always just kind of followed our our jobs, our careers, and so far, even when we'd, we 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 tried to leave a couple times. Uh, something brought us back a job or whatever. We're currently, yeah. I mean, I love we 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 visited LA and I loved it, but uh, it's just so expensive. So oh, yeah, like otherwise, but uh, yeah, we're looking right now. We're looking at Baltimore, fingers crossed. But we have some friends there, so we're thinking about trying a new spot. There you go. It. It's always nice to get a little bit of a, a change of pace, new scenery, all that stuff. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, and I do right off the top here. I do have to thank you because uh, because of one of your signings out here in L.A. at uh, a shop called Quest, I actually met an artist who uh, did one of the pinups in issue five, uh, who I'm now working with on uh, hopefully my first published comic. So I have to thank you for providing that opportunity there. And who are you working with? Uh, Marcus Giorgio. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Met him like on the internet, and then he uh, did a really rad drawing for me, and. Then got to meet him at the uh, the signing too. Yeah, it was it was super cool, and it was just like happenstance because I popped into Shop Called Quest because I knew you'd be there. Uh, I popped in there for like five minutes, and and Marcus just happened to be there, and uh, we just kind of started talking. And now, like literally, just I think yesterday, he started sending me, uh, you know, some sort of rough pages for uh, for our comics. So I'm I'm super stoked on oh, it. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, man, I love his work. That good for you, dude. That's. That'll be a good. That'll be a good comic for sure. Yeah. No. Exactly. It's like he. You know. The nice thing is when you pair with a good artist that like the the beautiful pictures can make up for all the inadequacies in the writing. <laughs> I don't know. We all we all feel that way. Not every panel is a masterpiece. You know. <laughs> it's very true. Uh, well, so tell me, tell me kind of about how you uh, how you first decided that you wanted to uh, get into comics. I mean, were you a fan growing up, or where did that sort of start for you? Yeah, I was a fan growing up, and uh, I just be, I learned to draw just from copying panels out of books, you know, and I just did that like nonstop all the time, and uh, yeah, and then even when I was up in high school, uh, I still wanted to draw comics for a living. I had no idea how it was done. I hadn't even tried actually like uh, actually drawing one. I think I thought that like each panel was on like a different piece of paper for some reason. <laughs> But uh, but then eventually I like started playing uh, in bands with my friends and stuff. So I started to focus on music, and I didn't make and I didn't draw much in that time period. Mm-hmm. And then uh, that was my focus for a long time. And then at some point, I just got back into drawing again. I think it was just uh, I don't know. Who knows? It, it, and then <laughs> so my focus just kind of shifted away from music, and and then uh, all I wanted to do since then was you know draw comics. So it's 
I just I don't even play guitar anymore. I just have one. Oh wow! You know? <laughs> I mean, yeah. you're a guy. Just looking at you, it's it's kind of funny because when I see you, it's like it's kind of half of it is like, oh my gosh, he looks like a character from Headlopper. But at the same time, it also looks like I could picture you on stage with a guitar just jamming out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I miss it. I miss that part of it, you know, kind of like, you know, playing with your friends and everything. But yeah. it's certainly easier to make comics because, you know, you can uh, you don't need a whole band. You know, you can just do it yourself. Totally. And especially someone like you. I mean, I I, uh, I envy somebody who is able to not only write, but draw and just kind of create this whole world by themselves. Uh so it sounds like the art was kind of like the first impetus for you. Uh, was there a time when you started like figuring out how to write or did they just kind of go hand in hand for you? Um, I didn't, I just started, once I started to draw comics, um, a little bit with other writers and stuff, I would just get ideas. I would come up with a character for some odd reason and I would just have an idea of what they were. I hadn't thought of, I hadn't really considered being a writer or anything and I just, once I had those ideas, I was like, oh, this is a comic I want to make and it's my idea. So I have to write it, you yeah. know? So when time, you know, actually kind of showed up, I was, I was drawing a couple books at the same time. Um, just different writers who had kickstarted, um, you know, projects and stuff. So there was one called department O another called colonial souls and another is meat space. And I was working on, working on them all kind of like back to back. And at one point there was, um, there was just a gap and I had, uh, I had no script to draw. So I drew, uh, I, uh, had this character. I mean, it ended up being Headlopper. It was, uh, I had, you know, Norgal and Agatha's characters. And I was like, well, I'll just draw a, uh, I'll draw a, a comic that I actually wrote for change. One of these, uh, one of these ideas I have. And, uh, and then that was it. And then after that, it was just so much fun drawing my own ideas. I just, uh, that's all I did. You pretty stuck much. With it. And do you think, so do you feel like, uh, having done this on Headlopper, uh, do you feel like that's sort of how you'll work forever now? Like just kind of doing your own stories or what's your, what's your thought on that? No, probably not forever. I mean, I like doing it. You get, you get whatever you want, you know, you can, yeah. uh, you know, and you can push and pull as like once you, once you, when you're the writer, when you're drawing, if you get new ideas, you can change your writing, you know, you can just change it on the fly, which is kind of nice. Totally. But, uh, I never, I never had really distaste for drawing other people's stuff. So I would go back to it someday, uh, you know, if I thought the project was fun or something. Oh, of course. But uh, but it's also fun to write for yourself. So I don't know. I, I don't want to commit to any one thing, you know. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Is there? Do you have like a a sort of um, a vision of how long Headlopper will go, or is it kind of like take it as long as uh, as long as people are still buying it type thing? I didn't until recently when I and I realized kind of moving on there was. I wanted to like kind of pace some of my bigger ideas, you know, kind of like arc to arc ideas. And like once I started to like kind of nail down some of my, uh, you know, bigger linking threads, I realized that like, oh, you know, if I have a clear idea of where it's where it's going in a grand scale, like it could be a better book. So until like literally a couple of months ago, it was I had some ideas, but the but the ideas were mostly just like just within an arc, you know what I mean? Uh -huh. So, so I kind of nailed down some things. So now, I mean, but that's the thing I can, you can change your mind anytime you want. <laughs> but, uh, at the moment I picture it being like, uh, probably like nine volumes, maybe oh, wow. like kind of like, like, kinda, yeah, like kind of long, long form now that I've gotten into it a little bit, but 
I might change my mind, you know, next year, and it'll be like <laughs> four or something. You're like, yeah, volume four. We're just gonna kill him off. Everybody's dead. All right. Well, um, if you get, if you get a better idea, you you got to change it. You know. Oh, absolutely. Now, I can see, like, be, you know, because of the nature of Headlopper and kind of this sort of uh, mythological environment, I could see it definitely being, you know, one of those very sort of long, uh, you know, epic, mythologized type of, of stories. And I think it would, it would totally work really well in that type of format. Um, and I'm curious, while, while kind of speaking on the, the format of Headlopper, uh, what, was, what was kind of the uh, idea behind Headlopper's release format? Because you were... First, I mean, I guess when you started, you weren't with Image. You were just kind of self-publishing. But then as you go along, you know, you've got these sort of giant-sized issues and releasing quarterly rather than monthly um, and all that. And so what what was sort of uh, playing into those decisions? Um, When I was self-publishing, I I liked the idea. I liked, like, having the freedom to just pace it any way I wanted. So I kind of the very first headlopper like um, self-published comic was I think 23 pages or so. And I, uh, so I just started writing and I didn't have like the, uh, the page count really dictate how long the, uh, the story was going to be mm-hmm. or, you know, or the, yeah, I think you get it. And um, so I, um, I got 23 pages in and I was like, I thought I would get much further, but I didn't want to <laughs> sacrifice and uh, I didn't want to really sacrifice the kind of pacing because it, it, I thought it felt good. Yeah. So we, just, so I did the a kind of abbreviated version for number one, and then so uh, maybe a year later we kickstarted another version. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to write this to a certain place in the story. It doesn't matter how long uh, it comes out to because we're we're uh, we're just publishing it as one one issue. You know, like yeah. And it didn't have to conform to 22 pages or something. And it came out to be like 45 pages, I think, mm-hmm. of story. And uh, I just thought it felt really good. So when uh, when Image uh, asked me if I wanted to do it with them, I, uh, I, I just still wanted to make 45-page comics because I thought it was a good length. And I just knew I wouldn't be able to do it on a month-to-month thing. Okay. I just thought they would tell me no. I was like, hey, I'd love to do this like quarter <laughs> format oversized thing and i thought they'd be like what what are you thinking that's not how comics work but they were just like they're just like yeah that's fine and uh and so that's what we've done that's awesome man i i always like seeing uh you know new approaches in comics um and there was something uh that i noticed with with you know another thing with the formatting for headlopper that it it seems i guess a little bit like um hellboy in this way that your your issue numbering you know you kind of have like a small number for whatever the issue of Headlopper overall is, but then you've also got your uh, story arc number. Um, Was there, I mean, was that something that was like kind of a conscious thing for you or was it just something that, you know, just sort of made sense and you went with it? Uh, Yeah, I just, it just kind of made sense and I went with it. I do like thinking of the, uh, of the kind of collection at the end, feeling like a graphic novel. Yeah. uh, Having like its own title and shit like that. So, uh, so I kind of tried to loop that in, in in a way that makes sense. But yeah, I don't know. It's just it makes sense to me. It usually doesn't make sense to other people, but uh, <laughs> but that's how it kind of just clicks for me. No, so it, that's that's like that's I mean that's the way to me. I've kind of because like talking about all these you know like reboots and and sort of you know like you look at Marvel and every six issues a series is kind of getting relaunched uh, in a lot of the big two stuff, and so I feel like that's almost a way to combat that where it's like you can keep you know your sort of. Uh, sequential order of issues while still having those new, you know, story arc number one kind of uh, t- 
tent poles or, or signposts, whatever, um, and kind of have your cake and eat it too in that way. And I think that, I don't know, I think that for like what you're doing, it's, it's always made sense to, to me. And I think that, uh, you know, sales have probably proven that it seems to make sense for most people. Yeah, it's done all right. I think um, I think the other thing is we consume. Uh, we kind of, or I think it's easy to think of comics now the way we think of like uh, like TV shows. You know, where it's like each one is like a different season. So it's like episode five of season three, and we all know that there was like two seasons that came before it. You know, it's yeah. like I've even heard I've started to hear comics people call an arc or a collection a season rather than than a collection or whatever. Yeah. Which, kind of is how we read stuff now you know it is interesting i think that like uh i think that really netflix has just changed the way that we consume all of our episodic media um, yeah you know just it creates more of a binge culture how, how do you feel about that i mean in terms of like with your you know especially with headlopper uh what's kind of i guess been the effect you know on the back end for you like you know single issues versus trades how have you seen that kind of uh play out which is there one that's sort of favored more than the other um, I mean, I haven't been doing this long enough to really be able to, to, to look at it and like have a clear picture. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I know most people, most people who have read Headlopper read it just, they've only read volume one, you know, they've only read the trade cause that's what they got it. And I don't, I don't blame them for not picking up, uh, you know, the quarterly issues because yeah. that I rarely pick up, you know, you know, monthly issues anymore either. It's just, it's just easier and nicer to just read at your own pace, you know? Yeah. And did you, so did you find like after the, cause it's especially in independent comics, um, you know, it's kind of a tough, uh, market to sort of thrive in before you have a, you know, a trade edition out. Uh, did you find that sort of your security in this series, you know, like in terms of like just personal financial stability from this, did you find that the trade being released, you know, sort of, uh, uh, I guess even that all out, or did you find it a struggle before the trade was released to kind of keep everything even keel? Um, it, it worked out a little bit better than I expected. Um, I think because there was no other quarterly comic when it first came out, and uh, and the price point was higher because you know the mm-hmm. the issues are bigger, so they're like six bucks. You know, I think the initial set, uh, like orders we got from stores were kind of conservative because they were like, we don't know how, I mean, it's called Hellhopper. What the hell is this shit? <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, it's quarterly. It's six bucks. Nobody wants to wait three months and nobody wants to pay six dollars. So I think shops kind of uh, ordered like made like safe, safe orders initially. So our, our, uh, um, our sales or whatever were, were decent, but they weren't like. They weren't big, you know, but because they ordered, uh, they ordered so small to begin with, it just didn't drop. And so books fall off in their kind of readership, uh, dramatically at first. And I was just kind of sat the same, I think, because shops were like, this probably won't do well. And then when, you know, when they did sell some, luckily they're like, all right, we'll just do that again. So I, I don't know. I, it's, it's weird to like kind of track it and like figure it out it's because i don't there's nothing to compare it to there's like quarterly books aren't really a thing so it's just i'm like i don't know it is what it is <laughs> we've pulled it off so far yeah you're just like well it's it's working whatever we're doing <laughs> um and so i guess uh to well i okay i'm at some point i'm gonna kind of take it back and sort of talk about your uh or, you know origins in in reading comics but uh another thing i'm kind of curious is how uh image came into the picture for you with headlopper because and and just how headlopper kind of like started as a publication because you launched it initially through like a kickstarter campaign right 
The very first issue we did, my wife and I just funded it ourselves. We did really small print runs, uh, which makes it like your printing costs really, really expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so we, so when we decided to do another issue, uh, we figured, hey, if we can upfront do a bigger print run, uh, the the printing cost will will drop off per issue. So like it would be a more affordable thing to pull off. So uh, so we kickstarted it and. And uh, and that just sold them at conventions and online and stuff. And then I think maybe I, I had pitched it around uh, a little bit to to publishers, mm-hmm. uh, and um, and so I, maybe it was through pitching that or something. Somehow I had like uh, started to talk to uh, Dark Horse a little bit and asked me if I wanted to do something in like a, a hundred page kind of format, mm-hmm. which. Uh, which we decided to do as Apocalyptic Girl. So while I was doing the graphic novel Apocalyptic Girl with Dark Horse, uh, I was still we were still publishing the Headlopper stuff and selling it. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, and that's exactly it. It was like too much work to 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 do it all. And uh, at some point, I just complained about it. Like I, I was just <laughs> like I was tired of being abused at the uh, at the post office. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so a friend of mine who had a book at, uh, at image, like I literally, I think I tweeted in some, some, some complaint and I was like, oh, fuck, I can't, I don't want to go to the fucking post office. And then in the meantime, a buddy of mine just gave it to, uh, gave Headlopper to Eric Stevenson. And so when I came home from the post office, like a half hour after I complained to the internet, which normally I, doesn't sound like good advice, but <laughs> Somehow it worked out, and that, so I had an email like a half hour later, and he's just like, "Hey, like, we'll we'll print this if you want to make more." And I was like, "Oh, thank God!" Because I had I had no idea what I was gonna do when I was done yeah. doing uh, Apocalyptic Girl. So like, it really kind of saved us. That's interesting. So I, I didn't even realize that the the first issue of Headlopper was like you know that you made that before uh, you made Apocalyptic Girl. I mean, that's that's really interesting. Um, yeah, that that same stuff was printed in uh, in issue one of of Headlopper. So uh, you can see like my art change because that one issue one it has like I think I drew like the the very first pages and maybe like you know 2013 or maybe 2012 and then the last pages I had I didn't draw until like 2015 I think. So there's this like the the artwork really spans like several years. That's so interesting. Weird. And so how how did you initially um, get, I guess, I mean, I guess like Dark Horse, it sounds like they just sort of approached you after you published that headlopper and asked if you wanted to do something with them. Is that basically as simple as it was? No, I mean, I was always pitching. I was always okay. like just trying to, you know, see see what what publisher would just take a look at my stuff. So that you just, you get, you just get rejected a lot. So it takes a while. Yeah, absolutely. But eventually if, if they've seen something that they're like, all right, we like the art, but we don't like the story or vice versa, mm-hmm. they start to just get used to seeing your face and like <laughs> kind of liked you last time they they'll they'll pay attention like oh we we like them a little more yeah. this time so so i had something like that at uh, at dark horse just i just kind of annoyed them into submission until <laughs> 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 so they were finally like so they kind of tested me out and i did a story uh in uh, dark horse presents that was like uh you know just an eight pager like let's do an eight pager together see how it goes and uh, I don't know. And so we did this thing that was called Snip Snip. And uh, it was an idea I had for like a series at the time. And after that, they they threw me the idea like, what do you what do you think about doing a 100 page thing? Because 
again, it's uh, it would be cheaper for them to print. It would be less uh, less overall like you know investment or whatever. So mm-hmm. we had a hundred pages, and I came up with a story that would fit the format. And uh, yeah, so I don't know. It's just who knows how these things happen. But <laughs> I guess uh, just uh, the power of persistence. You know, yeah, just persistence, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, so I want to. I'm always curious of people's like, you know, comic book origin stories. As you know, as kind of like a fan and as a reader, uh, what was what was really grabbing your attention when you first started reading comics? Do you remember like what uh, what those comics were that you were reading, or who was inspiring you? Uh, I loved uh, Spider Man when I was a kid. I'd read as much Spider Man as I could get my hands on, and liked. Um, x-men those were my two favorite books mm. uh, i read a little bit of iron man but when i was a kid i would uh that's usually what i would i would go to but we didn't have a lot of comics uh my i came from a small town we didn't have a comic shop or anything like that so i also just watched a lot of cartoons you know ninja turtles you know the spider-man cartoon from the 90s and the oh, x-men yeah. one yeah i was just i was crazy for all that stuff anything gi joe transformers i liked it all you know yeah yeah and so what what age were you when you decided like hey I want to make this my career? I would just draw I would just draw characters that I loved all the time, especially Spider-Man over and over again. And uh so at some point I just I would I would like obsess over, you know, panel to panel like try to figure out, you know, especially when you see like panels that are uh they look identical, I would spend a lot of time trying to see if they're actually identical or if they, or if they were just drawn like nearly the same. Now I realize they just light boxed it yeah. and like inked it twice, you know, but at the time I would just obsess over tiny stuff like that. And, uh, so I, I would just try to imagine what it was just like to draw comics, you know, like what choices were they making? And so at some point, it, I don't know, it just felt natural that like that was what I wanted to do because that's, I would just think about what what I was like. I was fascinated by like the choices that they made, you know. Yeah, of course. Um, is there uh, is there any one sort of like creator or work that you feel has influenced you uh, more than any others? Yeah, I mean, yeah, not necessarily from my from my childhood. I know the very first thing that kind of like really made an impact as a creator was Frank Miller doing. Um, the daredevil story uh what was it man without fear you know oh, yeah. like the black like sweatsuit and stuff it was the first time i saw like a superhero who wasn't dressed like a superhero uh john Romita jr was amazing on it it was like yeah. gloss paper when gloss paper was new like all like <laughs> cardstock there was blood i'd never seen blood before so i thought it was like super super badass so that was the first time i was like oh comics can be a little something else you know than than what i'm used to seeing yeah and then after i think which is probably a more obvious one but i didn't really find until i don't know i was probably maybe even in college it was probably like 22 or so when i first uh checked out hellboy and that was the next level of like oh shit you can do you know anything in comics you know like this (laughs) yeah and i i don't know and obviously like the fact that the art could be that simple and yet and that that like deep and expressive and the yeah. colors could be flat and yet so you know uh so descriptive or whatever yeah. like uh it, that really blew my mind and then it was at that point when i once i realized comics could kind of uh 
be anything, I realized, oh, there's got to be all kinds of comics out there that I just didn't know about. And then I was kind of just, I was, that was when I kind of got back into comics as an adult, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's interesting. I mean, like, there's there's certainly, you know, in, in reading Headlopper, uh, I don't think there's tons of, like, you know, heavy, like, overt, obvious, you know, uh, uh, Hellboy inspirations, but it's kind of like when you look at sort of, you know, the format of, of the book and, you know, kind of like some of the release styles and then just the, uh, you know, the, I guess, auteur mindset of, of you know, being a cartoonist or being a, you know, writer slash artist. Um, I think it does come through. And I was looking through uh, earlier, I think it was like yesterday or two days ago, I was looking through your DeviantArt page and I noticed like one of the first times uh, that you can kind of see like the real, you know, so, like something that's that's starting to look pretty close to what your uh what your current style is of art is this uh hellboy piece uh this father and son piece from way back god i don't even know when you posted this like 2009 oh my god it's uh that's so <laughs> it's pretty oh, cool. i think i know what you're talking about yeah yeah i remember yeah the the sort of like father and son piece against the wall um and it's i mean it's 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 interesting because it's so long ago and you can tell like there's kind of a deep love for those characters uh, but it's the first time that, you know, like looking back in sort of those early posts that you have on DeviantArt where you can kind of see like what would uh, gradually become your style. Um, and I'm yeah, not... I think that was I think that was around the time where I was first like starting to wonder what uh, what it was to like have a style, you know, yeah. until that was when I started and I started to look at like Gabriel Ba, you know, which is a, mm. you know, which is like, oh, if you like one, you got to like the other. Right. So like. Yeah, so that was when I first started. I think asking like, "What the what the hell is a style? How do you how do you even get one?" Like, you know. Yeah, yeah. And that so that, yeah, I'm wondering now because you know because you brought that up. How how did you get your style? What was uh, what was the process of that for you? I think I think like in probably in those ones from like 2009, it was when I was first realizing like, why am I just drawing like like really terrible versions of the artist like. When I was a kid, I had never thought about style before, and also I wasn't, I wasn't even planning on kind of attempting to make comics yet. Like I hadn't really made one, mm-hmm. and so I was just drawing for fun, but as kind of wondering about those things. And then uh, as I got more and more serious about you know uh, about drawing, I just started to think. I started to think like you get a style by picking things up from other people. You know, like that's just that's what it is to be influenced yeah. and it's like something that's conscious and, and but i think a lot of it's unconscious and so i was just like oh well, you know i got to i got to look at more stuff i got to just find more artists that i like and and you know and just continue to work at it you don't find one it's like a it's like a slow thing that just happens yeah. uh, over you know but so yeah so i just i started to just look at any artist for a long, long time that I thought just looked talented, even if their style didn't kind of um, speak to me or whatever, I would just, I'd still look at it and I'd still, still spend time with anything. And I started to try to read more and more like things that are considered classics, you know, cause there was so many holes, you know, all the, so, you know, it was like, like, so at the beginning of that kind of journey, I would look at, you know, Jack Kirby and I'd be like, Oh, it just looks old. It just looks retro. And then I would, I would like, then I'd be like, well, go buy some Kirby books because everyone says this guy's a genius, apparently. And then I got the books and sat down with them. And then, then you, you can learn 
oh yeah, this guy's a fucking genius, you know? <laughs> and so like, and so, yeah, it was, it was, you know, and you just, you just try stuff. You just gotta like try to, um, you know, throw away bad habits and try to pick up good ones or whatever. Yeah, totally. Um, and so as you're, you know, as you're picking up all these skills and going through, um, was there, was there like a, a definitive moment to you where you decided like, this is, this is just what I'm going to be doing and, and I want to, you know, make these comics and, and all that stuff, or did it just kind of gradually seep in? No, I think there was, you know, I graduate, I graduated from college and I had gone for a different reason. It was like my third attempt at college, I think. And, uh, and then I tried, uh, uh, by then, I don't know, I was just drawing again. And, uh, and I realized it's like, all right, I got this degree that I'm not going to use apparently because all I want to do is draw comics now. And, uh, yeah, and you, there's no, there's no moments where, where you just, uh, you're like, oh, this is it. This is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, um, I don't, I still feel like I'm constantly changing, you know, how I do things. Yeah. You know, cause that's, uh, I don't know. I don't want to, I would feel like if I stopped like changing things, I'd be, I'd be like, I get super bored, you yeah. know? And I, that's like, I, I don't, I wouldn't want to do that. Why, why draw comics if you're, if you're bored, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think in comics, you always see like, there's, you know, there are artists who stay around the industry for a long time, uh, and continue to sort of evolve and change over the years. Uh, and then there are also, you know, some artists who kind of stay the same throughout a very long period of time. Uh, and it kind of feels like the ones who can sort of evolve and continuously sort of learn things and change their style and stuff are the ones that are consistently sort of that you can find like benchmark works from different eras entirely. Uh, mm. Whereas there's, you know, there are some and they're still, you know, great artists. It's just that they kind of like because they stopped evolving, their best work is, you know, always regarded to be as sort of like in a certain time period. Um, yeah, everyone's going to have favorites, of course, you know, I mean, I was, it's, it's funny. I, I had never read like Frank Miller's Ronin. And so I picked it up the other day. Cause I remember thinking when I was younger, how dumb the art looked, I remember thinking like, Oh, that was before you could really draw, you know? And then I picked it up the other day when in a, when in a shop and I was like, I was so dumb for thinking that like he, he drew different back then, but in some ways it's like it's some of the coolest stuff I ever, I ever saw him do, you know? Oh, totally. He, I mean, he was full blown, like just crazy stylized and didn't, uh, yeah. Didn't try to throw it's in. Got some, like, I feel like it's got little spots where it's like, reminds me of like Mobius or something, which I never noticed in any of his other work. <laughs> yeah. I kind of see what you mean. It's like really, you know, sort of like that, that sometimes almost like a Darrow esque, just like, you know, level of attention to detail in some of his panels where he's really going in on, uh, on that kind especially, of weird stuff. Yeah, especially like the uh, like the backgrounds and things. He uses like I don't know. Anyways, the point <laughs> is yeah, he did he did something really different a long time ago, and so yeah, you know, some people they'll just pick everyone will just pick favorites, you know. Yeah, and I mean, like you even you know in talking about Hellboy and Mignola, like that's that's one of the big things that he was able to do is like throughout his career always evolve. You know, I mean, you look at his old DC stuff, you know, like Cosmic Odyssey or whatever. And then transitioning to Hellboy, and then even like the beginning of Hellboy versus you know like Hellboy and Hell, it's all very very sort of just like different styles, and you can still see like you can always tell that it's Mignola drawing it, but he was always evolving. You know what I mean? Like there was always sort of that change in uh, in his approach. 
yeah, yeah. He like he'll say like um like when he was younger he wanted to be Frank Frazetta and you look at his early stuff like even like the stuff from the eighties or whatever yeah. and you can see like the the Frazetta like kind of uh, <laughs> anatomy especially like the like the kind of like torso muscles and stuff. It's like yeah, like I never would have noticed that if he didn't say that. But I'm like yeah, I see some Frazetta there, which is kind of interesting because you don't see any Frazetta now. No, you know? no, of course not. It's yeah, it is super funny. Like you just always look back, and I mean, you know, it's you look at a guy like Jim Lee, uh, and you look back, especially at his early work, and you can see so much Neil Adams, uh, yeah, in his early <laughs> stuff, you know. And I don't know, it's it's funny how people, you know, they'll wear their influences on their sleeves, and then there just comes like this certain point where it's almost like they've maybe maybe that they've just like they've been you know working so much that they don't have time to think about how would this person draw it, and they just have to draw it out of whatever is in their mind uh yeah yeah maybe right or they've or that those initial kind of like things that made them draw that way that as just like the the corners have been rubbed off a little bit and now it just it just looks a little different you know what i mean totally uh has there been a a moment for you where like you know because you know kind of talking about some of these uh people like mignola or other sort of creators like that that kind of become um you know, I guess inspirations or anything. Has, has there been a, a person that you've met uh, that's just kind of like blown you away in terms of like somebody that you just really looked up to, whether it's in comics or not? Um, but has there been somebody like that that's sort of a personal, uh, I guess, idol or hero for you that you've uh, that you've met? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I would probably say, you know, I would say I, I see him as a little bit of a mentor in a way is uh, is John Arcudi because mm. I loved I found him through you know, BPRD or whatever, um, you know, and so I, of course, loved his writing and then started to read some other things he did. But then I just, you know, he's, uh, he's just a, he's really supportive of young artists and stuff. And yeah. somehow, yeah, somehow he, he just, I, in a way is similar. I credit, I, for example, I credit, you know, uh, John Arcudi to kind of like in quotes, finding James Heron, you know, mm-hmm. and, it's like uh, John would – I realize now John at, would like dig through the sludge of, <laughs> of DeviantArt, ditch through this, dig through the internet sludge just out of love for art no matter like whether, you know, whether someone was just a student or whether they were a legend. He just – he has a lot of respect uh, for artists and, you know, that that's a huge – contribution you know uh, like he puts in work you yeah. know and and doesn't single anyone out and so somehow i met you know similarly john or Cudi really young and he's just he he was always gave me like sound advice on things you know that i've really appreciated and uh even even when it wasn't like complimentary even when it was like i'd show him something new and He'd be like, "Yeah, it's super cool." He's like, "I don't know that you need this thing, you know." And that's kind of like, and I never, and I would never take his advice as like a, as an insult or whatever either, you know. Yeah. I would take it as like he, like, you know, like he cared, you know. And that that was uh, so that was that's still a, like a cool thing, you know. I I had him or have him really on a, on a pedestal, and it's cool to know that he's a he's a great dude. That's awesome. No, it's always good to hear. And I think in comics, uh, for some reason, comics has been more conducive to having uh, a lot of really just like genuinely kind hearted and and well intentioned people uh, rising to the top, you know, and it's obviously not every case, but like there there always tends to be just like those people who 
uh, are always on the lookout and, and, and acting as great sort of uh, mentors or inspirations for creators. So it's always good to hear. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, so talk about, you know, with, with Apocalyptic Girl, uh, where did that idea come from? And obviously, you know, you talked a bit about how it sort of got involved with uh, Dark Horse and stuff. But in terms of your creative process and creating this world and this, I guess, you know, standalone graphic novel, uh, how did that all come about in your head? Um, usually uh, story ideas start with with a drawing for me. I don't like necessarily set out to like, oh, I'm going to find a story in a drawing kind of thing. But <laughs> for whatever reason, I'm drawing I'm drawing something that is in it. I'm creating a new character. Mm-hmm. Even if it's just supposed to be this, I, just a one-off drawing for something. I um, I can't help but wonder who that, that character is. So I think I just... Had I had a, a a collaboration print to do with someone, and I made up a character that I thought would jive with um, with uh, that artist's kind of style and aesthetic or whatever. And then, and then I, as always, I I can't help but ask a question, just like, oh, who who is this character? And so I had, you know, this this character who she existed. She had a relationship with originally a whole bunch of cats. You know, she had this. But nobody wants to draw an army of cats on every page, so <laughs> <laughs> so originally she had a bunch. But uh, and and then I have to ask the question like, what kind of world or setting do they exist in? And so for her, it felt like a kind of like a, a kind of sci-fi heavy, you know, post-apocalyptic thing. And and from there, I thought to myself that uh, you know, ma- like manga does. Uh, I thought it had a really good manga vibe, you know, so it reminded me of like Tekken Kinkrete and, uh, and Akira. And oh, so yeah. that's just what kind of got my brain rolling. And then I tried to put some little Easter egg kind of things, nods to those, to those things uh, that I love or whatever. But yeah. And that, I don't know, at that point, then you just, I just start answering all the new questions that pop up. Yeah. Just kind of going down that rabbit hole in your head. Yeah. That's cool. And so uh, after, you know, after publishing it, obviously, especially with it being an original graphic novel, which uh, I think sometimes are, are, I don't know if, if underutilized is the word, but like in the comics industry, it feels like uh, the sort of OGN format doesn't always get the, I guess, the attention or the sort of, uh, you know, eyes on them that uh, the single issues do. Um, but how did you, you know, how did you feel the response was to Apocalyptic Girl? I mean, was there anything that like really surprised you about it overall or? Uh, what was it like uh, once it was released? It was pretty good, you know. I mean, I just was I was just thrilled to have it out, and, and Dark Horse was great about kind of, you know, letting me kind of uh, dictate how it even looked and was presented and everything. So, you know, I wanted it on a really, you know, uncoated paper and all that, and they did that, and we we worked together with their designers and everything. So it it felt great. I mean. They still print it, so I think people are still reading it, and uh, I you, I can't really ask for any more than that. <laughs> there you go. Uh, were there any lessons that you learned uh, along the process of, of creating Apocalyptic Girl, releasing it, all that stuff? Like, were there any lessons that kind of um, stood out to you or really informed the process of uh, of continuing Headlopper? Um, it was the first time I worked with uh, an editor on my writing, so to see all the different things he would point out or guide me, you know, through, uh, it was just a big, it was a big help. Um, just figuring out how the hell to write something, you know, I'm kind of grateful that 
it, I could take kind of baby steps in a way because the because um, uh, I did the the issue one I think was 23 pages of Headlopper, then the second was like 45, and now so Apocalypse Girl was 100, and so that gave me you know it was baby steps. It wasn't like I had to like jump out and then write something that was you know three 300 pages or whatever. So it was just. Uh, it was, I think, in hindsight, it worked out well. You know, just just plain practicing and practicing with uh, with an editor, pointing out all the little kind of like story structure things that I might not have thought about otherwise. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and that's that, it's it's cool to hear. Like, it's it's kind of fun hearing about people sort of like, you know, that that learning by doing, where you've you know you're just basically putting something out, and you're like, I think I know how this works, and just kind of like learning. Uh, along the way as, as you're doing it and kind of perfecting your process. Um, and uh, I guess the another thing that I'm uh, curious about is, you know, you talked about with Apocalyptic Girl how Akira kind of, you know, influenced um, some of your, you know, like thinking and, and creating that world. Uh, as you moved into Headlopper, you know, or even back into Headlopper after Apocalyptic Girl, um, was there was there anything kind of in your head that was really inspiring the world of Headlopper? Uh, you know, kind of like a you mentioned that Akira had for for Apocalyptic Girl, or was it something different? Um, you know, starting out, it shifted over time because I've been working on it long enough. Uh, but for starters, it was I, I did love Greek and Roman mythology, but I I also really wanted it to have a vibe that was just fun. You know, I wanted I wanted something that kind of felt like I felt when I was a kid. I just remember I have all these memories of watching, you know, TV, you know, with my older brother and watching like Arnold Schwarzenegger play Conan and, mm. you know, and watching uh, the original, you know, uh, Clash of the Titans. I forget what year it is, 81 or something like that. Anyways, but uh, <laughs> but I, I, I just thought this stuff was cool. It was one of those things that like if you if flipping through channels and you saw it on, like we stopped no matter where it was and we would watch that kind of like fun fantasy stuff mm-hmm. and uh, and so i wanted i wanted something that was like that you know high action uh just just you know entertainment and so that's where it started but then over time you know it's if i'm working on something i like to kind of you know uh, i like i like genre in general you know so if i'm working on sci-fi i probably want to read or watch a bunch of sci-fi so i've been working on fantasy for a while so i've read and and uh, watched a lot of fantasy and uh and so later on, my probably my most favorite fantasy thing now is uh, is Fawford and the Grey Mauser um, short stories, and uh, yeah, so it's shifted. And like, so when I first started, I didn't want any kind of weird monsters mm-hmm. in Headlock. I wanted it all to feel very like uh, like they all came from mythology kind of kind of things. But over time, I was like, no, 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 we need some some weirder stuff in here. Start to start throwing whatever weird things pop into your mind and kind of get it in there, mix it up. Yeah, I've had I've had like one rule, and it's like to avoid uh, tentacle monsters. <laughs> I mean, not all together. It's just you know we had a lot of tentacle monsters in comics for a while. <laughs> that's pretty funny. I I've like it's never something that's like consciously popped into my head, but like the more I think about it, the more I'm like, oh shit! Like, yeah, there's a lot of tentacles in comics. Yeah, like they're they cut like uh, suction cups and things like uh, squids and octopus. Yeah, it's yeah. like uh, yeah. So I just that I still am not crazy about, but <laughs> but I'll probably change my mind in like two minutes. <laughs> of course, why not? You know. Um, 
And so, uh, y- and you mentioned before, and I kind of wanted to, to come back to this. You mentioned that uh, your wife has kind of served, you know, a, a large role in uh, in getting some of this stuff done. So what's, I mean, what's what's been your wife's role in, in especially with Headlopper, it sounds like, getting all of this stuff uh, together? Uh, you know, it, she, she helps me with more and more things, like, every day. Uh, you know, for starters, she would help... Uh, God, where did we start? I mean, we <laughs> when we were when we were funding our first print runs and stuff. Like, I started making comics like when I was unemployed. Like it it was it was this thing where we moved and then I could get a job, and uh, and so I started to take like freelance work, which was you know which I I pushed towards getting comics work, and uh, and so like she just always became a part of it. It just became a part of like our our you know house income and stuff so like it, i wouldn't have been able to even fund the first print run were it not for her being so supportive like it, it was like a really stressful time yeah. you know not having a job and so i'd always be like i'd be like i gotta get out there and like just start flipping burgers or something you know like find mm-hmm. you know find something and she's and she'd always be like no you'd be miserable like just just keep working and we'll we'll figure it out and and we kind of did. So, I mean, now she's, she's just, we're just partners in it. She, and, uh, she helps me at conventions. She's a great, you know, salesperson. And, uh, and also one thing that's like really amazing is she's good at, she keeps a, she keeps an eye on my pace, like Mm. of, uh, completing pages. So she's good at predicting how, when I'll actually finish things (laughs) so I can actually (laughs) hit my deadlines. So she'll be like, yeah, so this week you've got to like be able to pull off four pages and left to my own devices. I would just draw and I wouldn't know if I was on time <laughs> or late, <laughs> like the end of an issue. But she's like, she's just like, she has this incredible attention to detail and she's, she can see problems like that coming. And so we've become a real team and, uh, and it's, it's worked out great. You know, yeah. we've, we've been switched over to, uh, starting a company together, we started like an apparel kind of, uh, you know, pins and patches and accessories and things. We, we call it a laser wolf attack. And it's like, I'm just kind of the art director and she runs it. So like, we've just, yeah, we're just, we're just a pretty effective team. So we kind of, uh, take on as much as time allows. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. I mean, I, I, it was something that stood out to me, uh, just seeing you at that signing. And then like, as I've seen, you know, whether it's Instagram posts or, you know, posts from whether it's your page or laser wolf attack or anything like, it seems like you guys are, are very well in tandem on, uh, all the operations. Um, and I, I'm, I'm curious as well, how did you guys originally meet and how long have you been married? We met, we've, we've been together for like 14 years. I was oh, wow. 19. She was 17. Uh, we met just through mutual friends. Um, and then she went off to college and, uh, and then I went off and we were in, and there was times where, and she did like study abroad things and like, she's, she's, she loves to travel and everything. So uh-huh. we always stayed together, but there was times when we would kind of be like separate or whatever. And, uh, it just always worked out. We just, we obviously hit it off. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> So we've been together for 14 years. We've only been married for, uh, shit, let's see, what year is it? We've been married for six years, just six years, yeah. Okay. Um, but, yeah, it's just, it's been really fun and really easy, so that's I'm awesome. grateful. No, that, and that's good to hear, because, I mean, especially, and I think that 
probably part of what helps it is that, you know, with a lot of comic creators, you got to like spend a lot of time on the road and sort of going to the conventions and kind of doing that circuit. And I'm sure that with her, you know, basically being your partner in all of this, and it seems like, you know, going to all the conventions with you, that probably makes uh, all the traveling a bit easier, I guess. Oh yeah. And, and we both love to travel and like try food in new, in like new cities and things and try to find what, what makes a, a city, what, what each city has to offer or whatever. Uh-huh. And so like we, we love to, um, we love to do the conventions and things. And if we can tack an extra day or two on the end of them and just, just visit stuff, she's just crazy for, uh, crazy for traveling has there... and, uh, and it works out. <laughs> yeah, it seems like it. Has there been like a, a city or a convention or just, you know, an experience in traveling recently that's kind of like stood out more than the others? Um, well, this year is the first time, uh, we spent any time doing, uh, signings in, uh, in California. Mm. She'd visited a couple times. I had never been at all. And, uh, so we had this spring, I had, uh, one signing in, uh, in Oakland and one signing in LA where we met. Yeah. And, uh, and I had never been out there and it, it was, it was amazing. Like I just, it, um, just every, the, the people were just super, super cool. Um, it just felt like so many people out there. And it's probably because, you know, it's the, you know, cause uh, who knows what Hollywood or whatever, but it, there's a, there's like a huge, it just seems like there's a huge art scene. It just felt like everybody I met like makes something or does something. And I just, I thought that was, uh, it was like really, really inspiring. But I mean, Otherwise, we like towns that have good food. So, <laughs> so, uh, we get excited. We get excited to like return to towns and try different things that uh, we hadn't tried the time before. And, and yeah. Uh, yeah, we just we like to eat and drink and, and see our friends. Are you a Are you a big barbecue guy? You kind of feel you kind of seem like you might be a big barbecue guy. Or is there uh, a certain yeah belt? no yeah for sure I, yeah I'm a pretty big barbecue. I don't know why I seem like that, but I am. <laughs> I mean, you know, you got you got like all these, you know, this this heavy metal uh, Viking type comic. You got an enormous beard, and I don't know. It's just like is it's, that it, it's all is all like uh, metalhead type kids. Do we all just eat lots of meat? Is that, is that a thing? <laughs> I don't know. I don't really know. It's just like I mean, you look at somebody who's got like a gigantic beard, and it's like the most logical thing to see them eat is not like a pasta dish. You know, it's like a full rack of ribs. <laughs> Yeah, it's gonna be something that gets like really, really messy and, and uncomfortable. But yeah, I, I love I love barbecue, and uh, I a friend of mine actually got me super into it, which is really dangerous because he'll he'll drive and travel anywhere to to eat something good, especially if it's barbecue. So oh, he gets me excited to do the same thing, and uh, and eat eat barbecue or or donuts. That's kind of our things. Uh, eat barbecue and donuts until it hurts, and then. Uh, and then after a convention, you you got to eat like ice chips <laughs> until you feel better. It, that must have been, uh, you know, as a big donut guy, that must have been awesome to see uh, that donut shop that I saw you post on Instagram about it. That donut shop that made an Agatha's eye and a, a Norgal flavored donut. Yeah, that was amazing. <laughs> we, I was already excited that they were going to come and and set up and sell donuts while we were there. I was really excited about that. But I, and then they did. Yeah, some headlobber themed donuts. It's like, oh, jeez, you guys, you're the best. <laughs> that's amazing. I, I think that's like that's probably the moment that you know you've made it is when uh, you inspire a donut shop to create new donuts. I didn't know that that was uh, that was the moment. That's the classic that, that, sign, that, man. Yeah, but now I know. I felt it. I was like, oh, 
I see it. I see it. <laughs> um, and talk about so you know you've you've been uh, you know posting a lot about these new uh, headlopper statues. Uh, is that something that you've been wanting to do for a while? Is have sort of a statue based on your character, or is that something that uh, sort of happened out of the blue? Uh, it has been something I wanted. Um, I I I love uh, there. It's an expensive habit, so I don't do it as much as I <laughs> as I'd like. But uh, I. I love uh, soft vinyl toys, you know, like designer soft vinyls and Japanese soft vinyls, you know, yeah. all the kaiju stuff and all the all the stuff that uh, kaiju has now inspired. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that shit. So it was uh, the idea that I could just design a soft vinyl toy was uh, was something I was aching to do. It was I was even if it wasn't head opera, I just wanted to make one. I just <laughs> I just thought it would be. I love uh, I love collecting them, so I wanted to make one. Now, and uh, I got up with a uh, skeleton crew, and he's like, "Hey, you want to make some stuff?" I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "If you could make anything, what is it?" And I was like, "Soft vinyl." And he was like, "Oh, I don't know. That's a bit much." <laughs> and then, uh, and then after a while, he came back and he was like, "You want to make one of those?" I was like, "Yeah, let's do this." <laughs> That's sick. And and be honest here, have you staged your own headlopper versus kaiju fight with your statues? <laughs> Um, you know, I, you know, you know, if I said I did it, you would know, uh, that I was definitely lying. Of course I did. (laughs) (laughs) Sound effects or no sound effects? No, no, I don't want my wife to hear that. (laughs) (laughs) So it's a secret habit that you just have to keep private. Yeah. Yeah. She, she knows it happens, but I don't want her to know. No, I'm just fucking mad. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so in talking about after, you know, moving on from uh, the first arc of Headlopper, uh, the island, uh, let's see, the island or a plague of beasts into the Crimson Tower, uh, there was, you know, I guess the most notable shift here is uh, changing colorist from Mike Spicer to uh, Jordi Belair. Um, uh, what, what brought about that, uh, that change? Um, it was a number of things. You know, Mike and I were starting to run into ske- some scheduling issues and whatnot, like, which was really exciting because he was starting to get like some really great work and we both kind of started together. So I, mm. I, that was really great. And, um, and so we, we just, I don't know, it just wasn't working well. And so we kind of parted ways, but you know, I don't think there's any animosity, you oh, know, or anything like that. Yeah. I wasn't, um, I wasn't digging for that. No worries. I'm not, I'm not trying to, to start any controversy or anything. I was just curious, uh, you know, what, uh, what sort of came about there. Yeah, I just always feel like that's like the thing you have to say, you know. Oh, no, course, Mike's yeah. thing. I just got to work with him again. Um, oh, yeah. But uh, so yeah, so then when it was like, all right, I need a, I need a new colorist. Um, I had worked. Jordy had colored the um, that thing I had done with Dark Horse Presents oh, back cool. in the day, and uh, and we would just worked well together. And so I, I asked her like, I know you color every single book ever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, um, you know, talk about tough schedules and, uh, but I was like, if like, I just want to ask you first, like, if you have time, do you, do you want to or whatever? Because like, it was just, it was fun when we had done that like a couple of years before. And so I, I'm pretty sure she just squeezes me in, you know, uh, <laughs> and like, it's just another, another few nights where she doesn't sleep it seems yeah. but i uh, there's but it's been fun too because one of the things that i originally hooked up with mike for is he was like the master of um 
or is the master of kind of like muted palettes and stuff absolutely and uh and like grays and greens and browns and things and uh i the the first arc of of headlopper uh yeah the island or plague of beasts it's kind of based on or totally based on like scotland mm. um and so he was First of all, I'd worked with him on a shore at one point, and he really understood how like my lines would translate into three dimensions. And um, plus, he's got that perfect Scottish palette, like super, <laughs> super down. And so, uh, and so he was perfect for it. And then when we split up at the end of it, uh, I wanted the next the next arc to kind of have a more um, it's just a different vibe, you know, because. Um, I knew I was going to take to this one, this arc to kind of some stranger places. Yeah. So I asked uh, Jordy if she would color it and, you know, I wanted it to be like, uh, the colors should be pretty flat and, and kind of like vibrant with like, um, like different color themes and everything. And so, <clears throat> and so she was, that's kind of right up her alley. So it's worked out great just cause I feel like I had for the character of each book, I feel like I've had the perfect colors colors to kind of like tell each of those two stories like mike was perfect for the island and and jordy's been perfect for the crimson tower so far yeah absolutely and i i i wholeheartedly agree i mean it's it's not often that you get to see somebody you know uh sort of you know break out into the mainstream while working with you know two of the best colorists uh in comics i mean you know mike spicer is especially as you talked about you guys kind of came in together and Recently, his name's been popping up all over some some amazing. Oh yeah, and, he's know. gonna have to army of assistants soon to, <laughs> <laughs> to cover as many books. But it's it's awesome because uh, you know it's uh, I first hooked up with Mike because he was so because he's so talented, and so uh, it's good when when you see other people agree and be like, yeah, he's the man. Yeah. yeah. Um, and for you, so when you're, it seems like from what I've seen, it seems like you are the type of, you know, writer slash artist to write out a full script for yourself first and then, uh, tackle the pages. Is that correct? Or is your process a little different? No, that's it. Yeah. I write out a full script, like panel descriptions and even sometimes the, like the size of the panel, I write out all the dialogue and sound effects. Yep. And so do you, when you're writing that, is there like, do you give much color direction or how do you kind of approach since most of the process is you? I mean, it looks like you also design and letter everything yourself. Uh, and so really the colorist seems to be the only real outsider, um, you know, touching the work. And so is there like much, uh, I guess, visual like color information that you're giving there or do you kind of let them figure out their own palette? Um, I like them to figure out the palette as much as possible because like, uh, they're they're better than me so that's like <laughs> their job you know um and but with uh there's there's an exception on the crimson tower and that is um the characters are sort of i wanted to do color themes because hmm. the the characters are kind of chasing these four crystal eyes uh that they kind of uh extracted from an automaton in the first <laughs> in the first uh in the first issue of the crimson tower yeah, and yeah. each each uh each eye has a uh is colored a certain way and that color represents the kind of color theme and the uh the um like the setting of each of the places where the eye where the characters have to go to fetch the eyes so in um so in issue issue six, which just came, which just came out, 
the characters are going to fetch. I'm trying to remember what colors they were. It was the the blue eye and the green eye, I think. Mm. And so the, that was the so each of those two uh, worlds or the doors that they the characters go through. Um, each of those two, everything, whatever's behind the door has that kind of theme. So that's kind of my direction to Jordy is like, okay, this room, this area is uh, is a blue themed area. It's a purple themed area. It's an orange themed area or something like that. And then mm-hmm. she runs with it. And then she comes up with all kinds of super brilliant kind of storytelling ideas on a detailed level that I'd never considered. Uh, it, it's really brilliant. I think it was in issue six as this character that we meet and it's in the blue world and she wanted him to get like more menacing by the time you know the issue was over. So I want to say she added more and more purple in his pal in this one character's palette as time went on to mm. kind of like deepen his impression. Uh, and it, that's holy shit! I don't know how you even yeah. how you even like think of something on that level. I was like, what? I was like, that's brilliant. Like that's why you do what you do. You know. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's amazing. I'm gonna have to like go back through and kind of like pay pay more attention to that. I I always try it. Like I've you know over the last few months I've been uh, learning how to how to color. Um, you know for this comic that I'm doing, it's you know a lot better mm-hmm. if you can do everything in house uh, when you're first starting out. Um, and so I'm always like trying to pick up on those subtle things, and it's it's like it's not infuriating, but it's always like it always pisses me off and amazes me uh, whenever somebody points something out in a comic, especially with colors that I didn't notice. Then I have to just like <laughs> dig through it again and just like follow it down. But um, that's awesome. Man. I mean, yeah, like she's she is on another level in terms of uh, her understanding of color themes. Hell yeah, yep. um, she she deserves all the cl- the acclaim she's gotten for sure. Definitely. <laughs> um, and so as as I've like you know looked through you know some of like your your uh, work history and and social media presence and stuff like that. Um, every once in a while, things will pop up that's. Uh, that kind of gets me curious. Like you did a um, Rick and Morty uh, cover for for their comic, a variant cover. Uh, is are you a big fan of Rick and Morty, or is that something you just kind of decided to do uh, out of the blue? Uh, no, I love Rick and Morty. Um, I had I hadn't seen. Actually, I did I did one whole issue of Rick and Morty. Uh, oh, really? I did the cover and the interiors. Yeah, it was super fun. Um, I want to say I hadn't seen much of Rick and Morty at the time, but when we first started talking about it, I was like, you know, everyone keeps telling me to watch this. And so I watched it just to see what I was being asked to do. And I think I just binge watched everything that was out at the time. And I just, I, it, yeah, I instantly was like, oh my God, this is the greatest. And I was so excited that I could kind of work on something, uh, that I love so much, but I really didn't know much about it when, when I only first asked me about it. That's um, yeah, but it was uh, it was super fun, and I think I think it was Zach Gorman had written the issue, and uh, he he had the idea that there's an issue of Rick and Morty in in season one where they watch this like interdimensional cable box, and they're watching this yep. show. <laughs> it's kind of like an A team spoof called <laughs> uh, Ball Ball Fondlers. Yeah. And uh, so he wanted – so Zach had the brilliant idea of uh, wanting to do an issue of Rick and Morty that was um, basically fondlers. like watching an, an episode of Ball Fondlers. <laughs> so, so he wrote this hilarious uh, comic uh, that was like all Ball Fondlers. Like it's the, it's the whole damn oh thing. And it's, it was super funny. Yeah, it's the only time I ever like sat reading a script and laughed out loud and I was just like, oh my god, I hope I don't. I hope I don't flatten these jokes. I hope they deliver. I hope they deliver as funny as uh, as Zach as Zach pictures it. 
That's so funny. I, I didn't even realize that it was a whole issue, and I didn't realize it was a full bond fond- ball fondlers issue. <laughs> like, I now I have to go and pick that up. Yeah, it's pretty funny. That's awesome. Uh, is there are there any other um, you know like like shows or movies that are kind of you know big in your uh, in your stratosphere right now that you're you know following hardcore? Um, I don't know. I want to say one thing that was like a really pleasant surprise was uh, was I really love the new Voltron show on Netflix. Oh, I think yeah. it I think it's like it looked great. The writing is great. I, I hit play on it the first time and I was like. All right, here comes this thing that you probably won't like, and uh, and I was just I was like sucked in, and I and I actually and then I did a, a I don't know if it ever got printed, but I did a cover for Lion Forge because they started to do a Voltron like DreamWorks version Voltron uh, comic. Oh, cool! And uh, and I reached out to him. I think it's the only time I ever reached out to someone and like begged them to let me do something. <laughs> and I was like, you've got to let me draw this. This Voltron, because it's the show's been great. Two seasons in, and it's like it's really super good. Wow, that's awesome. Um, and we're uh, so we're we're getting toward uh, toward the end here. Um, but we do. So I did have uh, one listener question for you here. Uh, this is from uh, listener Kent. Uh, he is wondering for your lettering on your comic. It says you know you design and letter it yourself. Um, do you letter by hand or do you use a, a font? And and why do you uh, why did you choose to do it that way? Uh, if you look at issue one of of Headlopper, uh, like right at the beginning of uh, the Island Volume One, and uh, I hand lettered that because um, I did that in probably 2013 or something, and I hand I hand lettered all all my comics at the time, and uh, I just thought it was cool. I liked seeing everything on the page, and then at one point I was drawing something for someone else, and I just didn't have the time to do the hand lettering, so I. And so I, there was the first time I had done a comic without hand lettering it. And I think I saved like four hours a page or something. Oh, so wow. it was like, oh, shit. I didn't realize, <laughs> I didn't realize it took me that long. And so uh, so after that, I just like, I, I was just like, I can draw more pages. I can make more comics if I don't hand letter it. And so, so I think, uh, yeah, you get, you know, maybe 30 pages into uh, issue one of Headlopper and it switches to uh digital digital lettering and it's strictly just because it's it's so much faster it's just easier that's one of those sacrifices yeah yeah i like as i've you know been uh approaching lettering these some of these pages here i'm like there is absolutely no way i could still keep my sanity while hand lettering i i respect the people who letter by hand uh you know like there's guys like i think steve wands uh still letters a lot of his stuff by hand but like I just, I, there, there's no way I could have that patience. And not only that, but then just like, as soon as, like, if you mess up at all, like you messed up, like it's, you know, it's an in ink. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta get some white out out and, yeah. and fix it. Yeah. My buddy, uh, Joe Delegata still hand letters all of his pages and it's beautiful. It's super cool. But, um, I just couldn't give up the time anymore. Yeah, totally. Um, and, uh, it's, I, you know, I mean, really toward the end here, a lot of these are just kind of like uh, tertiary questions, not directly related to the work. But uh, for you, I mean, obviously, music has had a big influence uh, on your life. You know, it was something you were very passionate about for a long time. Uh, is there certain types of music that have uh, been playing in your head as you write Headlopper? Uh, yeah, I mean, or Headlopper draw. is metal. Like, 
when I first when I first started making Head Lopper, that was the other thing. I also wanted to try to make a comic that was that was super metal, but like had nothing to do with music. You know, there were no guitars, but you would just like if you were a fan of heavy metal, you would just read the comic, be like, "Yep, this is a this is a heavy metal comic." <laughs> you know, so like, yeah, like if I'm, I'll often put on, you know, soundtracks. Uh, or or I'll make a soundtrack sort of uh, of 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 a sound for for a book or whatever, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's funny because I had you know Headlopper has always been metal, but it's kind of funny when I think of uh, how much I listen to like power metal now because I make Headlopper, you know, like <laughs> you know listen to, like Blind Guardian and and all these and all this and like Symphony X and all this stuff that's like. That's like, you know, the song is about, is actually about the Lord of the Rings, you know? <laughs> <laughs> or I love this band, I love this band uh, called uh, Tyr, T-Y-R, and they're from uh, Denmark, I think. And uh-huh. it's like the most badass power metal, like, ever. And it's it's strange. I thought I thought I was kind of, I listened to a lot of power metal when I was like, I don't know, maybe you know, 17 or 18 or something. And I thought I had like outgrown it, but working on head opera nonstop, I'm like, Oh my God, you totally listen to fucking power metal. Like every day now. <laughs> now I'm like, now because you've, you've mentioned all this, I'm going to have to go and like start listening to a couple of these bands. Cause I, it's, it's one of those things where like, I like a lot of metal, but I never really have, uh, like nobody ever really refers me to like a new band that I haven't listened to. And so it's always the, you know, the classics. Um, yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like anything else, you know, you click on, you click on a dozen new, you know, bands or something and you might sort of like one of them, you know, metal's yeah. like anything else, you know, it's, you're going to find more stuff you don't like than, than stuff you do like. Of course. Have you thought about doing like a, a Spotify playlist for, uh, for Headlopper listeners, like companion to each issue or something? <laughs> Uh, no, I've never thought of it, but maybe I will, but probably not because <laughs> I don't, I don't want to do it. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, and, uh, so if you could, you know, like just looking at sort of the comics industry, uh, as a whole, um, is there, do you feel like there's something that, uh, you know, whether it's comics fans or comics journalists or whatever, do you feel like there's something that they focus on too much? And something that they might not focus on enough uh, in regards to the you know comics in general, um, or just aspects of it, I guess. No, not not really. I mean, everyone's kind of kind of their own taste, their own reason why they uh, why they like comics in the first place. You know, I'd say that we seem to be in an kind of an age of the uh, of the writer. Mm-hmm. You know, um, like the '90s was definitely the age of the artist and. Um, Maybe because TV is so good now, I think a lot of people uh, people expect more from writers and, lo- and less of artists. Mm. But that's more like a trend thing. I think that's like kind of a, an indicator of you know what year it is. Um, but yeah, no, I don't know. It's everybody likes comics for different reasons. Yeah, and uh, like if you even look at you know comics, uh, you know media or something, I feel like you can see you can see where the fandom lies, you know? So I don't know. I guess it's, it's no, such, yeah. it's such a big, uh, it's such a big, it's, it's just a big, uh, I don't know, world. It's just like so many different people reading. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, and I'll, I'll throw a couple of, uh, of these desert island questions at you here, and, and you're just, you know, you're going to have to piss a lot of people off by getting definitive. I'm just kidding. Um, but uh, so, so as far as desert island questions, uh, one band you could listen to or, you know, musical group that you could listen to if you were stranded on a desert island, one comic book you could read uh, on a desert island, and one uh, TV show or movie uh, that you could watch. Um, all right, let's see. So one band, let's see. yeah, band or a musical group, whatever, uh, whatever floats your boat. That would be tough. I I do hate being definitive. <laughs> uh, I do I do find I go back to Symphony X on the regular. I wouldn't say Symphony X is my favorite band because I don't like to choose. Uh-huh, but uh, it feels there's always an album that like feels fresh again if I dig through and pull one up. Hell yeah. Um. All right. What was the next one? Uh, uh, comic book. Comic, uh, probably at the moment, probably uh, Miyazaki's Nausicaa because a it's really long, uh, <laughs> and uh, in the the drawings are just they're so like lush. You can just kind of look at them and look at all the little things that uh, that you miss on your first pass. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good choice. And what what was what was the other thing I needed to choose? Uh, TV show or movie? TV show. Um, <laughs> this is what pissed people off. I could watch, uh, I could watch Prometheus uh, over and over again <laughs> until the time. It's like one of my favorite movies. <laughs> I just, yeah, whether it's some crazy shit the characters are going through or just some amazing sci-fi design, I, I just, I'll just look at it all day. Interesting. Okay, that's it's funny. <laughs> like there, because even on this podcast alone, my my co-hosts and I, like we're we're all very uh, divided on that movie. Um, <laughs> I could kind of take it or leave it because I'm not like that. I'm not a huge Alien fan, which I know pisses a lot of people off in general. Um, but uh, yeah, it's I don't know. It's a divisive movie for sure. It is, yeah. And I can't deny I kind of like harping on the fact how much I love it <laughs> because I think it's so strange to like get mad when someone dis- disagrees about movies. You oh, know? of course. It's- it's just so silly. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's all subjective. Like people are just going to have different responses to pretty much everything. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, uh, I. You know, you've you've been super generous with your time, and I appreciate you coming on. Um. I know that uh, right now, you know, obviously, laserwolfattack.com dot com is uh, where people can find like your your merch and you know pins, uh, t shirts, all that stuff. Um. Headlopper Volume One is out in uh, libraries and comic book or not libraries, uh, bookstores and comic book stores. Um, and then, uh, let's see, issue number, uh, eight, or sorry, issue number seven is going to be on shelves in September. Is that right? Uh, uh yeah. Six just hit, I think last, last week, yeah. what day is today? Just, or maybe it was just on Wednesday, but yeah, so six just came out. Yep. Uh, uh, and that marks the halfway point into the Crimson Tower. And so you're right. Yep. Uh, September would be number seven. Awesome. And then uh, on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all at Andrew McLean. Is that right? Yeah, for the most part. Um, I think in a couple scenarios, I had to put like an underscore or something like that. Oh, wow. uh, but uh, yeah, but like you can find it all with a Google. My last name is spelled M-A-C-L-E-A-N. So that's kind of the uncommon McLean version. So I usually, I usually have it on lock. All right. Perfect. Um, well, Andrew, is there anything, uh, anything that you wanted to leave the listeners with, uh, as we depart off into the sea? 
No, no, yeah, you covered it. Like, uh, yeah, so I have uh, I have Headlopper and I have Apocalyptic Girl and now doing uh, Laser Wolf Attack and, uh, yeah, check it out. Awesome. Uh, and then what's the next convention you'll be at? Next convention? Um, i trying to think. Are Dude, you going to be in San I've, Diego? No, I've, and I forget what order <laughs> the conventions come in. So <laughs> I know I've got uh, the uh, Boise Library Show coming up and oh, then yeah. I have... Uh, in SPX, of course, I'm doing Baltimore this year, um, and then New York, but that's a ways off. But those are those are the ones I uh, I can remember at the moment. <laughs> no worries. Uh, yeah, and check out, and I'm sure you'll be posting it all over your social media whenever you're going to a show. Um, yep. So make sure make sure you check out uh, Headlopper, Laser Wolf Attack, Apocalyptic Girl, and all of uh, Andrew's social media. He posts some really awesome uh, art and process type stuff as well. So I know we've got a lot of artists that listen to this show. If you really just just love watching uh, some good pencils and inks and stuff like that, uh, you'll find a lot of it on his uh, Instagram and Twitter and everything. So make sure you check him out and uh, check out all of the stuff that he does. And thank you again for joining us this week in the Savage Land. You can find us at Savage Land Pod on Twitter, at Savage Land Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, reviews, ratings on iTunes always help. We appreciate them. And if you have any questions for the future creators that we have on the show, uh, you can email letters at savagelandpodcast.com. Uh, but until next time, thanks for joining us. Mm-hmm.